Hi, I'm Cheryl and Fenn. Hello, this is Christabel. Hello, this is Michael Horse. Do you enjoy listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the podcast? Have you picked up our book yet? Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. That has over 100 cast and crew who have contributed to this book. And it's, I think people really love it. I mean, we also have community commentary where a lot of the community have participated in this. It's just a great book. We recommend you pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hi, Brian. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Good. We got another great show. It's an, It's always a great show. Always. 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 We've got John Neff on the show. Wonderful that we get to have him on the show today. Amazing interview. Yeah. Like, the man is very, he was very generous with his time. Right. And, um, and I love some of the stories. I mean, this has got some great stories yes. that we'll share in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know what time it is, Brian? What time is it, Ben? It's log lady time. Complications set in. Yes, complications. How many times have we heard, it's simple. Nothing is simple. We live in a world where nothing is simple. Each day, just when we think we have a handle on things, suddenly some new element is introduced and everything is complicated once again. What is the secret? What is the secret to simplicity? to the pure and simple life. Are our appetites, our desires, undermining us? Is the cart in front of the horse? So that is episode 17 of the Log Lady intros. That's a good one. It's all about complications. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's so simply and elegantly stated. It is poetry how she words this, because when life is going nice and smooth, you hit a bump in the road, it complicates things sometimes, and you're kind of like, oh, I wish life could just go back to being simple again. Mm. And sometimes, is it your own fault? Is it your own doing that causes these complications in life um, sometimes? What's happening in this episode, too, is we have uh, Leland's funeral. 
So, I mean, I think it's it's complicated to realize that Leland molesting his daughter. But Cooper, I mean, Cooper complicated his own life of going undercover. Right. So in this episode, we have the Canadians. Uh, the Mountie. And, the Mountie yeah. and then the FBI. And they're doing an investigation into Cooper. You know, it's simple. That's kind of like a Cooper attitude. Like, he's very calm, cool, collective. Mm. I'll get through this. Don't worry. It's fine. I kind of, when I hear it's simple, I kind of hear Cooper saying that. Hmm. And then this whole, you introduce these things you weren't foreseeing. Right. And they bite you in the ass. Yeah. And your life is now complicated. This is probably going off uh, further down the line, but it's interesting to think about how Cooper got into that relationship with a married woman and how he complicated his yeah. relationship. Especially not only is it a married woman, but it's a married woman that was his his partner's wife. I mean, and there's something that he really complicated things, it's, that he, yeah. he let his love... And, then, and the same thing happened with Audrey in some ways. He, his love for Audrey, I think, in some ways made him go over the border and try to rescue her. For a woman. Usually he's simple and he's by the book and he follows the rules and there's nothing that gets in the way with that. But sometimes his emotions, his love does kind of mess with him. Yeah, and uh, that's each day just when you think of a handle on things, suddenly something new element. So I think you're right. I think it's Cooper's past experience. He got a handle on it finally, smooth sailing, and yet again he lets it happen again. Mm. Unintentionally, yes. not something he did on purpose. And then you even question, did this happen also with Annie? Wyndham Earl knew that that was his weakness, and he kind of was able to kidnap Annie, and he knew that yes. he could bring Cooper, in. Cooper into the Black Lodge. Nobody's perfect. And sometimes right. you see a show, and people look perfect, and they have perfect lives, but you see this, and you're like, yeah, everybody has their mm. own baggage. You know, you are the best lawman. I've ever seen. But Coop, sometimes you think too much. Thank you, Henry. Is life like a game of chess? Are our present moves important for a future success? I think so. We paint our future with every present brushstroke. Painting. Colors, shapes, textures, composition, repetition of shapes, contrast. Let nature guide us. Nature is the great teacher. Who is the principal? Sometimes jokes are welcome, like the one about the kid who said, I enjoyed school. It was just the principle of the thing. This is a rough one. Well, you know, it's funny that I don't think Lynch really even cared for the whole chess storyline. So it's interesting that it does start off with, is life a game of chess? And then right away he starts going into painting, and mm -hmm. which is more of, of what His, Lynch is into. Lynch yes. is more into the art and stuff. So it's funny that he starts off where it seems like we're talking about life is a game of chess and kind of throws that out there and says, let's talk about colors and shapes and textures and yeah. nature. In this episode, there's pieces being moved because I would say James is a pawn and other people's games. Mm. And I think they're saying chess games because people right now are going into place. Yep. The chess game of life where people are using other people to their advantages to benefit them in the long run. 
And I, I think James being one of the blaring side stories. Is a dog man's best friend? I had a dog. The dog was large. It ate my garden, all the plants, and much earth. The dog ate so much earth it died. Its body went back to the earth. I have a memory of this dog. The memory is all that I have left of my dog. He was black and white. What in the world? What was this episode about, Ben? <laughs> I don't know anything about a black and white dog. dog. But I will take the metaphor. What we, we eat from this planet and then we end up dying and going back into the planet. Like a full circle. I would say I would take what I could get out of that one as a full circle of life. Well, it's still standing almost by force of habit. Real habit can provide a strong foundation. Dead dog farm. That's an old legend. Of all the people in the world, the best and the worst are drawn to a dead dog. Most turn away. Only those with the purest of heart can feel its pain. And somewhere in between, the rest of us struggle. So, Brian, usually we do three Log Lady intros. We are coming, we are getting close to the end, and it's almost time for the new series of Twin Peaks. So, I figure we're gonna have to start doing four if we're gonna make it for the new series. Comes. So, today's bonus Log Lady time. My husband died in a fire. No one can know my sorrow. My love is gone. My dearest friend is gone. Yet, I feel him near me. Sometimes I can almost see him. At night when the wind blows, I think of what might have been. Again, I wonder When I see a fire, I feel my anger rising. This was not a friendly fire. This was not a forest fire. It was a fire in the woods. This is all I am permitted to say. So we get some insight into Log Lady's um, husband. Yes. And he was like uh, a woodsman, we were led to believe. Yeah, I think a lumberjack man. Yeah, yeah a, a maybe an outdoorsy type. She lives in a log cabin on the woods, so he was not, He was that kind of type of guy. I mean, the big thing there is about the fire. She connects it with the woods, and, you know, Truman talks about the, there's this darkness in the woods, and mm. we definitely know with the sycamore trees and the spirits seem to be in the woods. So there is some kind of, the log lady is kind of saying, this is not an ordinary fire. This is a fire in the woods. woods. I don't know, there's some kind of energy, some kind of spirits that are in there that, that this is supernatural. It's strange in some ways that the log lady is resentful to the fire. Like, I think mm. because her husband died through, by fire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, you would be, right? She would definitely have every right to feel that way. Yeah. Because she said, you know, her, her best friend's gone because of it. So now yeah. she lives alone in a cabin. Talking to a log. Talking to a log, which I still think, in my theory, is that's her husband. I like it. Maybe not in that log, 
but it's her mechanism to cope with the death of her husband, and she's only permitted to say it, which is weird. Some secrets that people can't handle. Not uh, yet. Uh, not yet. Maybe in season three. And now for guest of the week. with John Neff. Hi, John. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. Share with us your background. You're an audio engineer, and you've done music and DVDs, and you've done all sorts of work. Can you give us a little background? About- well, I started playing guitar in 1961 in Detroit. In the early 70s, I had a uh, I was a session guitarist working in a studio section in Detroit on a lot of soul records. And then I made my first record under my own name in 1965 called So Good by the Ascots. I sort of fell in love with the studio right off the bat. I made my second record in 1968, my first album in 1970. I was a musician performing my own stuff as well in the studio throughout the 70s. And uh, in the late 70s in Scottsdale, Arizona, I first became a producer uh, working on other people's records that got me going in the studio. That's pretty cool. And what, I, what I've learned is, in some ways, when it came to engineering, you kind of self-taught yourself. Is that correct? Yes. I, I was lucky enough to work with some of the best engineers in the business over the years, and uh, I picked up tips from them. It was an education you can't buy. Hmm. And can you share the story of how you met David Lynch? Well, in the mid-'90s, I had a studio design firm in Los Angeles named Studio Bauton. Hmm. And uh, we formed a technical design division called Tectone Engineering, and they hired me to do the technical design for David's studio. Uh, He had a very complex facility in which he could mix films, record music, do ADR, which is dialogue replacement, make sound effects, all this sort of thing. Normally it would be three or four rooms in a commercial studio, and this was all in one. And uh, Hmm. he had a non-standard console called the Euphonics. In uh, 1997, I was uh, installing the studio, and I said to David, you have such a flex operation here, I need to write an operations manual for your studio. Wow. And I need to start meeting with your engineer. And he said, I don't have one. I'm going to use freelancers. And I said, oh, you've got the wrong room for freelancers. (laughs) Uh, You know, the the consult has a very small operator base. You're going to have to have people come in early just to learn your console. He just looked at me and he said, well, you're the only guy that knows how the studio runs. You're going to have to run it. (laughs) I I laughed and I said, well, I couldn't afford the pay cut. A week later, we mixed a uh, Honda commercial. A lot of people don't realize that David does commercials. We mixed a Honda Passport commercial there, and he hired me to be the engineer for the session because uh, we weren't quite done with the studio installation and I was the only one that knew how it would run. So the course of making this commercial, there was bad foley for some footsteps. This fellow walks up the concrete stairs out of a subway and sees a uh, Honda Passport spinning in a dealership and morphs into a mountain man. These footsteps were the wrong surface. 
it wasn't leather shoes on concrete. Well, we had poured concrete behind David's console for the chairs to roll around on, and I was wearing Italian leather dress shoes that night. So I just got a microphone out of the locker and hooked it up, and I walked the Foley for the commercial right there in the studio. Wow, nice. And he... He looked at me and he, he said, have you ever done this before? And I said, no. And I said, but we have to have the right sound and this is the right sound. And uh, he was amazed. And the next week he offered me the job again and he upped the offer. I did take a pay cut, but I accepted the job. And we had uh, an album that was prepared to go for Jocelyn Montgomery. So we jumped right into music production as soon as the studio was running. What made you decide that, that it would be a good thing to, to take this pay cut? Like, did you see something in David Lynch? Did you see that maybe there would be some creativity for you? Well, you know, it's funny. I hadn't seen many of his movies. Mm. I lived in the late 70s and all of the 80s in Maui, Hawaii, and his movies didn't play there except for Elephant Man. So that was really the only movie I was familiar with. I had never seen Eraserhead or Dune or uh, Blue Velvet, although I had seen Twin Peaks because mm. my wife was a big fan and uh, it was always on whenever it was on the air. I just took the opportunity to work in film. I always wanted to work in film and never had. David's wife was writing a script at the time called The Straight Story. Mm. So... I just wanted to get back into the studio instead of designing them. And when I was presented with the opportunity, especially for such a creative guy working in music and in film, mm. as I told him, you walk down the hallway of life and doors and windows open, and if you don't take advantage of them, you keep walking and those windows never come back. Yeah. When that door opened, I thought, this is nuts if I don't take this. You mentioned some of Lynch's films, and you actually ha had a part in some of the DVD elements of it. Can you share with us? I mean, there was like Blue Velvet and Elephant Man and Straight Story and Mulholland Drive and The Shorts and and Fire Walk With Me DVDs. Can you share with us what your part in that was? Well, for The Straight Story and for Mulholland Drive, I mixed the theatrical soundtrack. So what you hear on the DVDs is my theatrical mix. Wow. I also worked a year and a half on the Inland Empire, though I did not do the final mix, but I, I worked uh, quite a bit on it. On the other films, Elephant Man, Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, Fire Walk With Me, Eraserhead, I mixed those in surround for their DVD releases. That's so cool. Hey, that is cool. That's that really awesome. You don't always think about, like, so it, it was mixed one way for theater, and then when it came time for DVD, you had to mix it another way? Is that correct? That is correct. Wow. I don't even had think about that. had to mix it that. in 5.1 surround. And the, and the thing was, we had the stereo original theatrical mix up in the session, and Dave told me to adhere to it. And he said, don't deviate more than 10% from this mix and don't put too much going on in the surrounds. He wanted me to stick to the theatrical mix very, very closely. Wow. I really loved David Lynch's uh, website when it was a subscription base. He was very creative. He would do all kinds of different, uh, like, short pieces. Is that the time you got, you were kind of involved with that at that time? Yes, I did all the sound for DavidLynch.com. The most fun was this lewd and crude little series called Dumbland. Mm. And because it was an animated series that David drew, it had no production sound. So we had to make every sound in the series. It was eight episodes of about five minutes each that were on the website. And David did every one of the voices. I had to manipulate his <laughs> voice electronically to make all the different characters. Yeah. And I had this weird little rolling DJ box called a VT1 voice transformer. And uh, that made all the, the different voices for David for uh, Dumbland. I like that show. Shit. 
That's my shed. I know it's your fucking shed! South Park. So in some ways, you know, you think it's a crude cartoons today. Yeah. You guys were doing it way before then. Yeah, Dumbland was definitely ahead of its time in terms of the internet. Uh, David had one of these concave makeup mirrors down at his desk because he did all the animation himself on the computer. So he had one of these concave uh, makeup mirrors and he would speak, you know, that magnifies your mouth. And he would speak in, into that to draw the, the, the mouth movements for the various vowels and consonants. Wow. Wow. So it's like David Lynch had a love affair with animation because it's weird when I see reruns of The Cleveland Show. and David Lynch is in that show playing himself as he's a bartender. <laughs> so it's like to me, I'm like... David Lynch must have had this weird love affair with animation. Well, you even think, we'll go back to Six Men Getting Sick. Yeah. And he started animation back then with his first short. Yeah. So, so it's yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah, I had to recreate the siren for that because he didn't have that sound anymore. Oh, wow. Really? For the shorts? No. Yeah. And then I treated the, the soundtracks of the various uh, short films. Uh, for that DVD release to uh, make them quieter than they originally were. And you did sound for the menus as well for the shorts, right? Which I think sound great. Oh, but... yeah, that's that's David and I playing. That's that's Blue Bob. That's a good yes. segue. So tell us about Blue Bob. I think about, I remember seeing uh, Thank You, Judge, which was a, was a really funny video. I got to see guys... it still. It's funny. David and I both played music on Jocelyn Montgomery's album, Lux Vivens, which came out in 1998. And Dave played guitar on that for the first time. And he used it. He laid it on his lap. And he'd bang on the guitar. I'd, I'd put it in a certain detuning so that it open strings formed a chord. And uh, he would bang on it and then use the vibrato bar, tune it way down and make mm. special effects with it. He enjoyed that so much that we got him a couple of guitars. He had borrowed one for that record. We got him a couple of guitars, and he wanted to keep experimenting. When the album was done, he was sad. He said, I want to keep experimenting in music. And that's what these all were. They were experiments to him. He wanted to make drum tracks out of machine noises. So, for instance, on Pink Mountain Range, on the Blue Bob album, there's a 80-ton metal press that is the kick drum, 8,000-volt spark is the snare drum, a printing press is the hi-hat. Wow. And I would make these drum patterns and loop them. And then David and I would play live to them. And then he'd hand me lyrics out of a box, an old shoebox full of typewritten pages, poems that he wrote 25 years ago. And uh, he would hand me a poem and say, this is the lyrics for this song. Oh, wow. And the first time he did it, I thought, well, I'll go home and work on a melody for this thing at night and then come back the next day and sing the song. And he says, no, 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 right now. I don't want you to think about it. I want you to just go in and do it. Wow. And so on, I think, three or four of the songs, he handed me his director's megaphone and wanted me to sing into a $10,000 mic with this megaphone to give it like a sound of a small speaker in a box. Hmm. And then he'd feed me delays in my headphones so that I'd stutter. And it was really a uh, quite an experiment. Wow, man, mad scientist. <laughs> what we would do is create various drum tracks, and David would play. He, he had a kit of drums, and I had a kit of drums at home. 
and uh, we would record some drum ideas and then bring them into the studio, or else he would play while I was at work at the studio. I'd record him, and, and we'd come up with drum patterns, and then I would write the music, and David would, of course, have written the words to these old poems, and we would play live. We'd put the drum pattern up through the cinema sound on his big screen, 7,000 watts of power, and it wow. just shake the room, <laughs> and we'd play real loud, real live to it, and uh, that's how we made that record. Wow. wow. That's really cool. That is really cool, yeah. Can you share with us the making of Thank You, Judge? Oh, yeah. So we had a rhythm track done, and David didn't have a poem that fit it. And one morning I walked in the studio, and he said to me, he says, So, tell me what you've lost in your divorce. Because <laughs> I'd, I'd been divorced three times at that point. And I wrote a list of 35 things. He took out some obvious things like the cat and the dog. And he put in things like fishing gear and my six-pack of beer, <laughs> some funny items. And then he wrote these little vignettes of, like, me getting divorced in court mm -hmm. and the judge going against me on everything. And then another one where I'm getting thrown out of the house and the cops are there. And another vignette when uh, I'm at this motel, this uh, seedy motel, check -in, trying to check in to get have a place to live. And David plays the motel operator. And it's it's really sort of bad luck, bad news for me. So we voiced all those vignettes over the band. One day I walked in and he said, we're going to make a video of Thank You, Judge. <laughs> we were going to make a video of 911 as well. And Laura Herring was going to be in it. But uh, we never did make that video. We ended up in a conflict with our record label and we never made the second video. Thank You, Judge was a lot of fun to make. Filmed it at various places in the valley where David shot Lost Highway. It was a run-and-gun small crew. We had a cop to stop traffic, and it was fun. Is that David Lynch under the mask? Oh, yeah. And the <laughs> funny thing awesome. is, I knew, I knew he was going to make a mask, or <laughs> that he was going to wear a mask. And because he said he wanted to play this character named Billy Groper that is in, <laughs> that's in the song. And in fact, there's one item in the songs. She took my pork and beans and it shows a, a shelf full of pork and beans with Billy Groper's face on the can label. <laughs> so I thought David was going to send the guys down to Hollywood Boulevard to buy a mask. But he sent them to the art supply store and they bought five pounds of uh, modeling clay and uh, latex rubber and buckets mm -hmm. and things like that. And Dave, David sculpted the head and then uh, melted the latex and molded it over the sculpted head. And that's then that's what he wore. So that he, he literally made the head for that mask. That is amazing. Wow. That is really something. And the funny thing was he, he, he forgot to cut air holes in it. So we'd shoot, and we could only shoot for like a minute before he'd start to pass out. So he'd, he'd pull the mask off, you know, and breathe for a while, then he'd put the mask back on, and we'd shoot some more. There's no eye holes or, yeah, there's like nothing. That poor guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a trooper. But is there a documentary being made for Blue Bob? I thought I saw something about that. Ah, the word is getting out. <laughs> uh, yes, he shot the concert. And so did I. The rehearsals and the press trip in September of 2002. 
for years, I tried to get his tapes, because he had the better concert stage footage than I had, but I tried to get his tapes in various negotiations for music rights. For instance, he used some of my music in Inland Empire, etc. He would never release his tapes. Eventually, I just reviewed all my own tapes, and they're not the best quality, but it's a documentary of an event that happened. It's the only time he's ever played live on stage. Wow. And I had hours and hours of press tour and rehearsal, and then uh, my lady friend shot the concert from the balcony. So I met this video editor, and she said uh, I could make that, you know, I could put that together for you as a feature film. Mm. I had studio remixes. We recorded the concert as well, and I had studio remixes of it in my library. So I supplied those mixes to her. She is cutting the uh, tapes into a documentary, and she sent a video crew down from Seattle to interview me for some of the backstory. It'll be out this summer. Awesome, this summer. Wow. Wow. Blue Bob in Paris. That's awesome. That is awesome. Wow, I can't wait to see that. Lynch doesn't usually do stage. I mean, like, he's not really... In front of the in front of the stage, he's always behind the scenes. So yeah. that'd be something to see. Yeah, plus you know he plays guitar in such a weird way. You know, people will be able to see it for the first time. In the in the video, he's always sitting down. I think he's like hunched over the guitar almost. Yeah, so that's that's the way he plays it. Wow, very that's interesting. Really cool. What you describe, it's like very industrial. You know, he's just like, let's make a beat from a sound from this. He's he's got this very industrial kind of feel. Sound like even his his albums that I've listened to, his voice he always does something weird with his voice. Modifies, modifies, it. yeah, makes his voice sound different, and um, it's very out there. But it's always interesting to listen to, you know. Yeah. And his voice is always weird. He always does something very creative <laughs> with his voice. That was that's what happened on Blue Bob as well, and he was very particular that he didn't want it to sound like a lead singer in a band. He wanted the voice to sound like a special effect or another instrument. That's true. And so they were heavily treated and buried in the mix a little bit. And that was all on purpose to make it just sort of the mood and sort of the atmosphere and not stand out. Cool. Very Lynchian. Yeah. (laughs) John, uh, Twin Peaks is coming out soon on Showtime. I hear you've got some music to contribute to that. Can you share at all how you got involved with the new Twin Peaks? Well, it's actually a piece of music that David and I wrote over 10 years ago and recorded. And uh, that's about all I can say about it. I can't describe it in too much detail because I'm under an NDA. Of course. But it's it's music that we wrote over 10 years ago, and it uh, he just wanted to include it in the new series. So they contacted me about almost a year ago now about permission to use it in the series. And, of course, I said yes. There's not much money in it, but uh, (laughs) it's in the series. I love the uh, Cannes memory music that you did. I thought it was such beautiful. Oh, we had premiered Mulholland Drive at the 2001 Cannes Festival, and David was invited back as the jury president for 2002. Mm -hmm. So he used his position to get permission to write and record the theme music for the 2002 Cannes Film Festival. After he came up with the idea, he he wanted to play trumpet on it. He hadn't played trumpet since high school, but he still had his trumpet. 
it was funny because Tom was good, but his lip wouldn't last. He could only play a few notes at a time. I wrote the background music and played all the background music. I'd, I'd record his trumpet, and he'd go, you know, like, blah, 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 yeah. blah, 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 <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so we'd have to stop and wait 10 or 15 minutes for him to get his lip back, and then he'd, he'd play some more notes and then blat. And uh, that's great. It was it was a lot of fun. It took it took a whole day to record that theme because his lip kept giving out, but he was determined. Ah, it's so pretty. It's beautiful and music. Once, and once David makes up his mind on anything, it's going to get done. Even though he couldn't play, he was going to play, and he did play. Is there anything else you want to share with us working with David Lynch? I mean, you worked. I mean, I feel like it was like a, was it like a consecutive eight years or so that you guys worked together? I sat beside him for over eight years, almost nine years, mm. and. He likes to talk, so we'd tell stories a lot during the course of working. And, uh, and of course, he takes a lot of smoke breaks, so we'd talk during his smoke breaks. One day, he turned around to me and he says, you know, we know more about each other than our wives do. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome, yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. It, it, this is wonderful. I, I can't wait to uh, hear the music that you contribute to the new Twin Peaks. That's Very awesome. exciting. And can I ask you, are you going to the Twin Peaks Festival this year? Yes, I'll be at the festival as a vendor. Ah, very good. Ooh, cool. We'll be there. We will be there. Well, thank you, Excellent. John. Excellent. Well, we'll see you in the trees. See yes, the trees. see you in the trees. <laughs> so we just watched Six Men Getting Sick. Yeah, it was made in 1967. This is David Lynch's first film, his first short film. And I'll give you a little background about this. It's really interesting. So David Lynch was at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. And there was a contest for, like, sculpture art. And he had done a painting that was like mostly all black, but he had some green. He was looking at this painting, and maybe he could... He could hear the sound of wind, and he could see it almost like a tree. And the funny thing is, the way he describes this, it makes me think of Twin Peaks. Yes, you know, the like, beginning scene of Twin Peaks right. with the trees. And that's how he pitched Twin Peaks. He was pitching, he's like, oh, there's a wind, and there's uh, mm. trees. And his first thought about making a, a film would be this idea of wind in a tree. So Very he came good. up with this sculpture screen of six men getting sick. I also say it's called Six Figures. It's like a moving painting. I mean, it's essentially... It's got animation, too. Yeah, it's a loop. It looks like stop motion. Right, it would go on for a minute, and then he, he, would, he would loop it six times. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's so bizarre because you have... Yeah, you actually see these these heads getting sick, and they're, they're holding their stomach, and... Yeah, and you know what's interesting about it? I'm looking at it. You're almost going, are they getting sick? Is it like different ways? Because someone, one of the guys, looks like he has like maybe lung cancer because hmm. he's got black lungs with these red dots on him. Yeah. And then one looks like they, they look like stomach problems. One could be a heart. One could be a stomach. It's so hard hmm. to tell. Yeah. And how they all get sick and then puke this purple stuff up. I almost feel like you have to watch it six times and pay attention to each one. Each time. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe that's it. And Maybe. it's interesting to see that he uses a screen and some of it is actual physical things. 
like these heads are physical plaster, yeah. and then you have this animation that he puts on top of it. So he's kind of using many different mediums oh, to God, create. Yeah. And at the same time, the camera's not moving. It's a still framed piece where things are happening in that space. Yeah, and there's like drawings and animation. But it's yeah, it's crazy. And the hands are moving. It says sick, and each person gets this redness, and it almost looks like blackness inside uh, like a rot mm. and then there's like a brief moment with flames in the corner oh yeah and i think he was actually i think he was actually using real fire and and lighting up the it's the, interesting the screen i wonder with, if you could really analyze this to be the premise of twin peaks mm. the fire fire walk with me um this sickness that could cause someone to become like rotting from inside yeah Leland. i mean there's so many little things you could dig in here right it is funny that this is the piece that the first thing that he's done that's animated film we're looking at the short films of david lynch that was my dvd uh copy that i think it came out in 2001 that they made a dvd collection of the shorts uh-huh and so if you're looking at the head what do you think of this head <laughs> and that's one of the heads from these plaster heads it's from one from, right there. Yes, it's the third head. It looks like a man with puke coming down his mouth hole. David Lynch's friend Jack Fisk actually made a cast of David Lynch, so all those three heads are actually David Lynch's head. Like that's actually Whoa. David Lynch's. Yeah, it doesn't look like him. I can see the resemblance. I can see the the cheekbones. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe. I only realized it today. Like, I, w I was reading about this in in uh, Lynch on Lynch, edited by Chris Rodley, that Jack Fisk actually made a cast of Lynch. Yeah, And then crazy. I was looking at this, like, you know, I can see that. I can see that it actually is Lynch. So three of those heads that are are in the film are <laughs> Lynch's head. That is kind of cool. Yeah. So this cost him $200 to make. Yeah. And to him, that was a lot of money. It is a lot of money, $200. And he did, what, he did not want to do another one. Like, he thought he wasn't sure it was exactly the, the art that he wanted. Mm -hmm. And he just thought the expense that he could never do another one. He enjoyed I think he liked making it to, to some extent. But he said, you know what? It's just too much money. I don't think I'll ever make another film. Mm -hmm. He entered the contest, and he actually took first place, which was, I think he actually tied for first place for the contest. So it was the end of the year show, and he shared first prize with the great painter named Noel McAfee. So even though he won, and he, I think he had fun doing the film, he was just going to give it up. And somebody in that audience actually saw <laughs> yeah. it and said, you know what, I want you to make me something like this for myself. Yeah. I want this to be my own uh, personal life. He didn't want the exact film. He wanted something else like this that he could own. And he was willing to give Lynch $1,000 to create something. Wow. So when we get to the alphabet, we will continue that story about Lynch continuing on to make films. And this week, we have two special guests for our story segment, Joel Bacco and John Thorne. Uh, the news we're hearing was that the first two parts of the new Twin Peaks are going to play at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, well, I heard that. Uh, so, I'd heard a rumor that that might happen. Apparently that has been confirmed, that that is going to happen. The two parts will, will play out of competition. It's not part of the, you know, the, the competition for an award, but they are going to play there. And I've also heard that they will play after 
after it airs on Showtime. So I assume, I don't know what the dates of the Cannes Film Festival are, but I'm really hoping that's true. I don't want it to play at Cannes and all of a sudden we hear yeah, tweets and Facebook posts of, you know, I can't believe this happened because, you know, right after all this France. time they spent keeping it secret, right. they keep going all the way. The dates for the Cannes Film Festival is May 17th through May 28th. That is uh, the there you go. date. So. Okay, great. Well, then that's it. So it won't show in Cannes until after it airs on the Sunday night on Showtime here in the United States. Cool, cool. cool. Well, that's another way to sort of, you know, draw attention to Firewalk with me because what a what a reversal to come back. Yeah, 25, actually. 25 exactly years. 25 years after wow. they were... Food to come back and right. show Twin Peaks again at the festival with all this acclaim and everything. Yeah, I, I think it's that. great. I think it's great, and I, I well, it'll be interesting to hear what the reaction to to the film. I call it the film. <laughs> I don't know what else yeah. to call it now. Right. <laughs> the film, uh, as it shows those first two parts, anyway. You know, what the what the reaction will be. Yeah, I'm with you, John. They better they better not premiere that till after it airs on Showtime. Here, I'd be pretty annoyed by that. I don't think they are. Because yeah. it will get leaked. It will get leaked out if. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it will. Yes, it will. Yeah. I, I think. I think it will be after. And I, did, I think they, they'll wait. Yeah. And once we were talking about uh, things in the news, there was a, a David Lynch article that I think you posted, uh, John, on Twitter. And in that yeah. article, <laughs> David Lynch said you could kind of uh, watch it out of order. What do you think that like the new yeah. series? You could, <laughs> What? How would you watch it out of order when it's releasing week by week? Oh, jeez. This is going to uh, be interesting. <laughs> um, well, okay, you know what? Let's eat a guy. So what's the first quote-unquote title of the uh, of the, of the season, or whatever we're going to call it? Yes. It's uh, The Star's Turn in Time Reveals and stuff. You know that Lynch has indicated, at least in past interviews, that he's interested in this idea of certainly non-linear storytelling mm. in terms of time. And now he had said you could potentially watch some episodes out of order or parts out of order. And so I want, I really, that really made me perk up. I'm wondering, well, is this part of the quote unquote experiment that the new Twin Peaks is? Is this something that we're going to see pieces that take place out of time and Mm -hmm. you can assemble them yourself? into a different narrative order if you want. That might be, you know, Frost said to me, we've got something cooked up here. We're, you know, we understand the the realm we're entering of challenging TV, and it just made me wonder if we've gone as far as to say, you put it together whatever way you want. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) That would be really interesting. Yeah. Like a puzzle. That's great. I really, it's yeah. going to be so much like Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway and all that stuff. Mm. I really, I really think it will be. Yeah. I mean, we could get like one part dedicated to just maybe one character. So you could watch that out of order if it's like, I, a part of me feels like we're going to get one episode where we're going to get a lot of the Twin Peaks characters from the town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but then maybe we're not later on. Maybe there's going to be one episode where it's just I feel like one or two episodes is going to take place inside Twin Peaks. Yeah. That might be excessive. But I really will not be surprised. And I wouldn't be disappointed either. It's like one-ninth of the show or even one-eighteenth takes place in Twin Peaks. And the rest of it is like other places doing other things. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe alternate versions of Twin Peaks or something. But I just don't think this is going to be... 
the reunion at the RR Diner for oh. for you know eighteen episodes. I just don't see it. No, I, I agree. I, yeah, I agree, I agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> I have mixed feelings. And about I mean, that. that's a, it's a, quite a leap from that to one episode will be actually set in the title town, but I, I'm willing to consider that leap. Maybe not make it yeah. yet. I have such mixed feelings. I mean, here's the thing: is like it's Mark Frost and David Lynch, and I'm I'm pumped and excited, and to have all these actors come back. So I'm really ex- excited. Whatever they do, they could, I don't know, they could be underwater and do the whole show, and I probably would still enjoy it. But at the it same could time, be the Lemurians. <laughs> yeah, but it's so we- it's so weird. The Lemurians. Yeah. Oh, well, man. I think it may be an element of the Lemurians in this. Oh man. Uh, for, for people who don't know what that is, that was a Lynch. Frost project that they were working on before Twin Peaks, and the idea was that there was this sort of band of uh, government agents who traveled around the country looking for extraterrestrial or otherworldly phenomena, and the Lemurians were the quote-unquote aliens that had come to Earth. Uh, That's a very, you know basic description of it, but there was this project that they had worked on, and I don't know anything about the new Twin Peaks, but, um, you know, if they're traveling around the country, and there's FBI agents, you know, trying to track down mm. weird stuff, then some of that may actually potentially, you know, have, have carried over, in, in, you know, from their early, early work together. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's going to be Cooper's Odyssey, like they said. They've mentioned that, you know. Yeah, looking President for, ne- Nevin said that. Yeah, looking for him and uh, his journey. So I feel like mm-hmm. we could see Twin Peaks only for one episode, or just briefly, and oh, that's so cool. But then you move on with this new story. But yeah, who knows? I think so. Yeah, I'm shaking my head. <laughs> Ben's in yeah, I'll be shocked if the majority of old cast members are in it. From I mean, I know the IMDb. I don't think. I think that's just someone. An overzealous fan just updated it, so I don't think those episode counts I agree. seriously at all. I know Brian but and I do this I do every think week. A lot of them every... will be yeah. in one episode. Yeah, really. Yeah, I know because Brian and I kind of have a, a segment where we kind of say uh, who's in Twin Peaks, and every week Brian's yeah. like. IMDB says they're in one episode, and I was like, I do not believe that. I do not believe what they have to say. I, I mean, know, but especially because yeah. they they don't know how he's editing. I think he's probably still editing it as we speak. You make a great point. You make a great I point. I could probably, but, yeah. But if they do I, one I episode, I totally agree. Yeah. I think, yeah, the IMDB resources is probably not the most uh, reliable resource because. A link hasn't revealed you know, to the world that, you know, this character is, you know, in this many part. I think by now the thing is probably pretty solid, but I, I don't think he, even he was like, okay, you're just in this, you know, episode. I think yeah. those characters could be spread out. We see them, glimpses of them maybe only in one part and then full on, you know, a storyline in another part, uh, whatever. Uh, but, um, I don't, I don't know if we can say for sure how yeah. much screen time they're going to get. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. It's exciting. It's exciting. I know. I know. We're only a few. It is exciting. We're getting. <laughs> it's not far away now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, John and Joel, for coming on the show. It was so awesome to get your feedback and uh, share with us the, the news of what's happening right now. And I have two five-star reviews in iTunes that you could do while you're listening to our show. And while you're about to do that, you can listen to Lazy Pizza. 
this person's named Lazy Pizza. Hi, Lazy Pizza. The Heart of Twin Peaks fandom. Five stars. These guys are great and bring the Twin Peaks talk every week. I give that all to Ben. Ben wanted to keep up. We got to do it every week. And by God, we've done it. We've done it. How we've, the I hell? Know. We've done more than a... I give you all the credit because you, you'd be up to like five in the morning editing these shows. <laughs> I know. You're a madman. I don't always get it out on Wednesday, but we get it out by the end of the week. I mean, that just so we can say we're out every, every week. week. Yeah, and, and when we first started, I said like, you know, I listen to so many podcasts and I hate when they're unpredictable, when, when they're unreliable. I hate that I don't know when they're coming back. So that was really a goal of ours mm. to try and do it every week, to never miss a week. We're, we're getting close to 100 episodes. And then when season three happens, it's going to be, I mean, there's going to be, like, turnovers and be so quick. It is. Well, yeah. Sunday. I'm not going to have time to edit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just going to be, like, in the beginning, when we first started the show, when we were just doing episode, there wasn't much editing done to those. Yeah. It was recorded and out. Recorded and out. Yep. You know? I know, but I like editing. I, I know, like I, I know. like taking out those ums. Um, um, um. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm leaving that um in. <laughs> I didn't mean to even say um. I'm leaving the um in. Leave that um in there. Revealing inside interviews, other podcasters and bloggers. And that's something I think. It's we, a joint thing. It, it is, we it do, is. We but do it together. You, we, you know, we made contacts, but I think, well, both of us, it's our personalities. We're very inclusive people. Right. We want to share. But I don't think it's ever about us. We no. We it's really about just the community. Want, yeah, we just want to be there with the community. I'm going to say this, but I almost feel like our show has brought some people together that might have not have met each other before. Hmm. I will go on a limb and say that because I feel that might have happened. And I also feel that because we've been very supportive of other people, hmm. we put out the love and the love has... It, it and they've been grown. very supportive of us. Yeah, thank yeah, you so much. I yeah. Mean, yeah, I feel the same. They continue. On-the-spot coverage of concerts and festivals. You never know what is coming next. Just another great episode every week. And that's what I say. Every week's better than the last. Keep rocking, Ben and Brian. And this was out uh, February 22nd of this year. Thank you, Lazy Pizza. Thank you, Lazy Pizza. And we have one more from Rachel M.G., 1225, another five-star review. Their uh, headline was, one of the best out there. Ben and Brian have great chemistry and are a lot of fun to listen to. I think so. I yeah. think you're fun to listen to. <laughs> I think you're fun to listen to, Brian. <laughs> Same to you, Ben. However, this is a however. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I feel uh... like it's almost like, it's almost like, I don't want to be disrespective, but, and you, you know the person's going to be disrespective. However... What makes this podcast stand out, oh, it's positive, is the content, guests, interviews, analysts that they bring on and on almost every, almost on a weekly basis. A must for a true Twin Peaks fan, both old and new. Looking forward to experiencing season three with you guys. Well, thank you, Rachel MG1225. Um, I think we're excited to both go into something blindly mm. which is season three it is so strange i was the one that had all the knowledge and you were the one going blindly and for us to both be going blindly it's going to be really interesting i'm i'm very excited about this i, I am super excited by yeah. that i'm curious to know whose theories will be right i mean you'll have your wild theories about something i will probably <laughs> too and it's going to be fun and it's going to be 18 weeks at of, least 15 probably yeah 15 because they're doubling up for the first two mm. 
But still, that's going to take us until September. Yep. That's crazy. we got a summer of Twin Peaks. It's crazy. Uh, but thank you again. Please leave those five-star reviews. Uh, we'll try to read them on the show. And hopefully us or any other Twin Peaks podcast, we can reach that top 50 in the TV and film section of iTunes. Yeah, you, you know, there's Diane's uh, podcast. There's, there's Counter Esperanto. There is... Deer Metal Radio, which I want to know what's happening with Deer Metal Radio. It sounds, it almost seems like there could be a, uh, they could be doing a co-host. I, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for right now. That maybe he's really? changing it up. You should have wow. listened to the last show. He seems I'm behind like, on his show. I know. So. We got to listen to it. It's, uh, it's interesting. Something is happening. Ooh. Spark One and Twenty One, they've come back. Check them all out. Support your community, and one of us should be in that top fifty. We might appear in someone else's show. So if you haven't subscribed or listened to any of these shows we mentioned, please do, because you might be pleasantly surprised down the road. We're taking our show on the road? Taking the show on the road. Possibly. Possibly. That's all I'm saying. Thank you for the, the feedback. We are preparing for our 100th episode. If you or anyone else that you may know who loves our show would like to give us a voice message, you can call us at 866 8 Unwrap. That's 866-8-UNWRAP. U-N-W-R-A-P. Spell that out on your cellular phone. And leave us a message. Start off by saying this is for your 100th episode. And if it's good and we like it and we have the time, we're going to jam them all in on 100th episode. We're going to try. I mean, it's it's got to fit in with what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So right now we're kind of setting aside. We're getting... The emails are filling up. So we love it. Keep it coming. I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised. Uh, People are being very clever with their messages and uh, doing different things that we would never think of. And I think people are going to love it. Mm. So keep them coming. Send them at TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. Call that number. Leave a voice message. And hopefully you'll hear on the 100th episode, Facebook has been blowing up. It's been blowing up. Last week's episode, I said... Please like us on Facebook, and holy smokes, we hit our goal in one week. We hit a goal. So I'm going to say, because I always have these goals, I like to say, right now as of recording this, we're at 470. I say we can try to hit 500. Wow, you are so ambitious. We're going to go 500. Going 500. That's a nice number. Yes. 500. So if you're listening and you have not liked our Facebook page, can you take a second and like it? Thanks again to Silencio. You can find both their albums on iTunes and Apple Music, CD Baby, Amazon, and more. I think that's it for this week, Ben. Another great show. Another solid, solid episode. So I guess we'll see you guys next week.